Knock, knock, guess who is knocking at your door? That's right, you know it's the morning for sure. Might be a geoff, it could be, maybe it's Mitt Romney. Welcome, one and all, to another edition of This Week in Mormons, the premier Latter-day Saint podcast focused on news, culture, and issues pertaining to the Latter-day Saint community. I am your host and founder of This Week in Mormons, Jeff Openshaw, and I am joined this week by none other than my former neighbor, Jared Gillins. Hey, uh, Jeff. Can I can I tell you something, Jeff? Can I tell you what I'm drinking right now? Are you, did you go to get some uh, reeds? I am drinking reeds gourmet chocolate milk. And now the uh, the intrepid and attentive listener might think, well, why is it Jared, Jeff's former neighbor? How could Jared be drinking reeds chocolate milk, which we have mentioned hails from there is the some in- city of Idaho Falls, Idaho. The answer is I've moved. And I live in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Jared now works for Reed's Chocolate Deli. What chocolate deli? It's a it's a it's a dairy. It's a dairy. It's, it's a chocolate not a deli. deli. Reed's Chocolate Deli. Um, sure. Anyway, no, we moved for reals. We moved. I live in Idaho now. I'm an Idahoan. I have an Idaho State driver's license and everything. You already did that? Yeah, because my wow. uh, my Absolutely. my tags, my my license plate re- like registration was going to expire at the end of oh. October, and so oh, I was like, time. "Well, I need to go re-tag, and I guess I have to do it in Idaho." And they wouldn't let me uh, title and register my, my car here if I didn't have a driver's right. license here. Right. So I just I just went down to DMV, which was a pleasant experience. I've never had a pleasant experience at DMV, but a very folksy, kind gentleman helped me with all my transactions, and I was out of there. Uh, within an hour, and I and I I had to wait in two different lines, but none of neither one of the lines made me wait more than fifteen minutes. It was not bad. Great, yeah, it was great. That but is, yeah, I Reed's, dro- Reed's chocolate milk. That's what I'm. That's that what we're stuff about. is legit. Reed's people, you sent us some last year. Maybe it was this year. I don't know when it was. Either way, I welcome more. Is all I will. I will tell everybody the secret, and it's not a secret. But the the reason why one of the reasons one of the great reasons why Reed's chocolate milk is so great is because they add potato flakes. To the chocolate milk, and it gives that it a, a thick creaminess, yeah. a starchiness, exactly. Yeah. And I've never experienced that before. But guys, I mean, and it sounds like such a stereotypically Idaho thing to do, right? Like, oh, they put potato flakes in the chocolate milk, but guys, it's so good. It really so is. Good. It's the best chocolate milk I've had, and I've had also Shadow Dairy from Missouri, which is really good. But now I think the the Reeds is legit. It gets the twin seal of approval. Well, that's what um, I'm drinking right now. This is what I'll be drinking throughout the episode. So if my voice gets more phlegmy, uh, <laughs> I, I apologize. Well, that's really exciting that you get to be in Idaho. Yay. I like it. Uh, yeah. But hey, change is fun. I miss the West. So I mean, you're from Washington State. So there's some topographical similarities in a yeah, slight no, it, it sort feels of way. Close, it does definitely feel closer to home, especially we drove up, um, I, I, my brother-in-law and I, we drove, we took a Sunday drive yesterday with uh, with my nephew and we drove up into Island Park, Idaho, which is a state park, and but it's in the Targi National Forest. And it's just beautiful. Lodgepole pines, lots of spruce, some quaking aspen mixed in there, which was 
turning a lovely bright color of yellow this time of year. Like it, it just was so beautiful. And yeah, it felt more like I was back in Washington with all the trees and the mountains. Oh, I have looked it up. The tar- so you were kind of right there abutting uh, Yellowstone then. Yes. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, sure. yeah. The quickest way to Yellowstone for, I think for us is to go to, uh, actually um, into Montana and to, yes, to, to go, be a West, West Yellowstone. West Yellowstone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't it weird the Yellowstone barely bleeds over into Montana and Idaho as well. Like, were they just trolling everyone when they said, because it's a square. I mean, it's a right. square-shaped national park. And they just said, let's just bleed it. Or let's not make it entirely in Wyoming. Like, was that- Right, especially a- since, like, well, not necessarily the, well, yeah, even the, well, yeah, not the Montana-Idaho border, but all the rest of those borders are also square lines. And so it's like, well, oh, true. why couldn't you just make the square fit the square? Though this is this is a very far aside thing, but folks, listeners, if you want to look something interesting up, look up. I gotta make sure I articulate this correctly. And Jared, you may not have seen this story. There's fuzzy laws about something like you could commit crimes in like the Idaho part of Yellowstone National Park and not be prosecuted for it because yeah, because oh, oh, I think it's it's because of like the um, I think it's like the federal circuit court has jurisdiction and Idaho doesn't. It's a very weird situation. Yeah, there's like basically a jurisdictional dead zone in one small area of Yellowstone Park. Yes. I mean, so people have theorized that you could like murder someone there and not be prosecuted, but I'm pretty sure they'd find a way to prosecute you legally. Uh, Maybe. Uh, Who's to say? No. Who's to say? I have no idea. Well, Well, Jeff, I only had um, two items on my agenda for the show. First, I wanted to talk about Reed's Dairy, and now I think I'm spending the rest of the time talking about President Trump's tax return. (laughs) which is what everyone wants to hear that's what all this week in tax returns i'm not like a ah, it's been a weird i I mean folks know we're not going to spend the show talking about the tax returns (laughs) oh uh, yeah sorry which which is an interesting subject area i am not a tax genius though my first uh, my immediate takeaways are lots of very wealthy people do similar things and and it's legal it is and so that part of it's fine i guess but then it's a question of perhaps the means you undertake, uh, whether you take legal action to satisfy some of the requirements. Because you could very well look into the details and find out like the way you're achieving some write downs. Do lots could of people write off $70,000 worth of haircuts? Exactly. Things like that. Or I read that some, there were also some write offs like the interest paid on uh, on what was just a residential house for the family was mm-hmm. used as like a business deduction, for example, stuff like that. The one I'm really a big fan of was I saw that Ivanka was both an employee and hired as a consultant and they deducted consulting fees. That one might actually be illegal. Yeah. I mean, there's been lots of weird shady things with but, the nepotism yeah. and the administration, but we're not here to talk about this. We're here to talk about this. Weekend. It's fascinating it's- stuff. But with election season in full swing, we have a debate tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right, which I guess I'll watch that train wreck. That should be fun. Uh, what could go wrong with two septuagenarians trying? Both to- of whom are having more and more trouble forming cohesive sentences. <laughs> this is when this is when uh, this is when the four percent minority of our listener base will gripe about Joe Jorgensen and how she should be in the debates too. Oh yeah, she's the libertarian candidate, right? Oh yes, she is, and they will let you know it. Yeah, she she is the best. Well, you know, I got, I, so I, I'm still, yeah. Anyway, I got, I got my, I got a ballot. I saw the, well, I saw the Virginia ballot, um, because I, I, I got one. I'm, I, I'm not committing voter fraud. I'm only registered to vote in Virginia. I'm going to send in that vote and I will change my voter registration after the inauguration, just to make sure that everything's above board, uh, assuming that there's an inauguration and a peaceful transfer of power. But, um, 
I was who's kind of surprised to see that there were only three candidates. Like I was, like, I, I, I guess for a while there, I, I remember, I just remember several. There's no like peace elections. and freedom or constitution well, party. No, I just, those? I just remember several presidential elections in a row. I mean, of course, these are spaced out by four years, but still, I remember uh, for a long time there was always a Green Party candidate. You know, yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, wait, we just have three. We just have Republican, Democrat, and Libertarian. Come on, guys, let's step it up. Why don't we have more nutty? Third party just jumping in on the mix here. Maybe they have a candidate. Did the Green Party candidate just not get on the ballot in Virginia? That's one thing. I mean, people can run for president, but actually getting on a ballot is like is a whole other issue. Yes, as we learned with uh, Evan McMullen. Evan, Evan McMullen, exactly. Yeah. So maybe it was that, which would still seem weird to me. Like you, I agree. The, the Green Party is nationally, you know covered so so i'm going to use this as a so speaking of epic and people who we hoped might have been riding in on a white horse if you will to save yeah. our country and yes 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 um i would like yes. to start off our show by talking about what was probably the stupidest article that <laughs> came up this week <laughs> Uh, let's see. I, I want to go, go ahead and give credit to the person who wrote this terrible article. Uh, this this appeared in the Daily Utah Chronicle, the University of Utah's independent student voice. Okay, so this explains a lot. This actually, I don't think this will be the first, the only time we uh, cite this this right? publication and this week's show of all. So time. this is this is accredited to one Morgan Barron, opinion writer, uh, and so nothing against you personally, Morgan, but this was just. Uh, see, you know you can't take her seriously because if you click on Morgan Barron's page, tell me you you're a copy editor. You know this, Jared. Let's see if you can pick this apart. Morgan Barron is an opinion writer. Barron has written for the Daily Chronicle since 2017. A Utah native, Barron has always been interested in local politics and how lawmakers' decisions and actions affect. Oh, them. is that an apostrophe? Oh, no, no, that's a fine apostrophe. No, but she said always, folks. Oh. You can't use always. It's just no. a word you don't actually use in writing. No, because like when she was born, like, you know, she pop out and she was like, I am interested in local politics and how long the decision affects. Yeah. No, you can't say always. You can't say always. You just avoid, you got to avoid superlatives. Mm-hmm. Folks. Always avoid them. Anyway, sorry, we're picking oh. on you, Morgan. We don't really intend to, but I would like to pick on your article on your opinion piece. So basically I'm going to, I'm going to sum it up as well as I possibly can. It, it, I mean, you could tell she put a lot of thought into this and I, and I credit her for writing a very thorough argument. Um, but yeah, the argument is that like, okay, that, that Joe Biden could be the person who fulfills the white horse prophecy. And if you guys aren't familiar with the white horse prophecy, it is a, um, debunked use prophecy in, in scare quotes here. It is a prophecy attributed to Joseph Smith uh, that at, that at some point the Constitution of the United States would hang by a thread, and yes. that the elders of Zion would come to its rescue and basically save the Constitution, save the United States, save everybody. Blah blah blah. We call it the White Horse Prophecy because you know you, you like this imagery of riding in on a white horse to save the day. Uh, I would like to point out that in 2010, the Church via the back then LDR Mormon newsroom, now just newsroom issued a statement on political neutrality. And as part of their statement on political neutrality, they included this following statement about the White Horse Prophecy. The so-called White Horse Prophecy is based on accounts that have not been substantiated by historical research and is not embraced as church doctrine. So that's problem number one with this article. She's like trying to make an argument from something that's been disavowed as not a 
viable or reliable prophecy from Joseph Smith. And isn't it funny uh, also just that that came out in 2010 because people were talking about this with Mitt Romney in 2012, completely forgetting that two years prior, this church had already clarified this. Oh, no, this is like, this is a horse that will not die no no matter how much you beat. Like like, everybody wants to always bring up. And I remember my dad teaching me this, like in a family home evening, you know, that, you know, the white horse prophecy for a while, it was a really hot thing in the church. Like people love to talk about it. People still love to talk about it. You can't, get people to stop, even if, no matter how many times and you cite the church newsroom. Jerry, do you think that's like part of that is, I feel like as Latter-day Saints, sometimes we have this need to like make ourselves important at a national level in particular. Does that make sense? Sort of like, yeah, we, want, no, we always want to sure. inject ourselves in the national conversation. I mean, it's for this reason we try to like argue all the time, you know, about like whether even if it's stuff like the prayer at Valley Forge, you know, or George Washington, Abraham Lincoln loved Mormons, which he did not because Republicans were against Mormons at the time. All yes, sorts of were. things like that. Like we... I feel like we really try to like force ourselves and mold ourselves into the national conversation. So why would we not fail to drop uh, this thing that basically says Mormons are going to save America? Yeah, no, nobody. I mean, and people are going to decide what they want to believe and what, you know, so even if the newsroom, you know, issues a statement and says, this is not official, like people are going to say, well, you know, they say that, but you know, in my heart, I have a witness that, you know, which, you know, is fair. Everybody has their own testimony and we all believe in personal revelation. So if you really believe this is a thing, that's fine, but you don't get to declare that it's doctrine for the church. Like you can think it's a doctrine that you believe in, but that doesn't make it real or true. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sounding yes. like a curmudgeon here, but like it's well, just no, it's yeah. fair because we do we do this as a people. It's well, we do this yeah. as people. Like you said, I think part of it is that this idea of like trying to elevate our our importance and, and the nation, but also mixed in with that is that we and I and I'm sorry, but we fetishize the founders and we fetishize the constitution we do. We do. and we want to make, make this a thing that like the constitution is this perfect document and God wrote it himself. I mean, people don't say that that's basically what they're arguing for. You know, when, when we take a verse from the doctrine covenants that says, you know, that it was written by, for, for this, for a purpose by men that I raised up to this purpose. And people say, it's easy. God, you know, it's authored by God. It's an inspired work. And, and if we take it really far, we talked about this back when we interviewed Matthew Harris, um, by the way, we should interview him again because his book about uh, Ezra Taft Benson just came out. Uh, it does. Yes. Yes. Anyway. So, but the point is we make too much, I think, out of something that should be held as important, but not held up as like holy writ or whatever, like anyway, fetishized. Uh, so, yeah. So basically just get back to Ms. Barron's um, ar- argument. Basically what she's saying is that like, you know, both parties are very much trying to court the Mormon vote, especially in states like um, Nevada or um, even Utah. Like some people are saying, like, this could be a historically unprecedented election and we could see some of these vote, uh, states that have traditionally gone red swing the other way just because so much is going on right now and there's a lot of uh, uh, tumult and with the politics and everything. So, um Anyway, so she's saying basically that the way that Biden could fulfill the White Horse prophecy is by the Latter-day Saints who who would be voting for him rising up as one, putting him in office, and he would then save the Constitution in the United States from the damage that President Trump has done to it. Which, I mean, again, this is a very partisan argument, um, and I'm not going to weigh in as far as that, but it's just like there's so many mental gymnastics and stretches that she has to take to come to this 
argument conclusion that therefore this is a fulfillment of the white horse prophecy which asterisk footnote by the way isn't a real thing so i don't know i i, I just don't I, like how did this get published how did well, this get past the editor oh yeah it's well, a school newspaper never mind and she is the editor she's the opinion writer uh, so <laughs> right. you're nicer than rick benjamin who says i'm sorry to say that your article is deceptive to say the least evidently you know nothing of the prophecy and your fraudulent attempt to mislead the saints of the Most High is satanic. Oh, does he know something of the prophecy? Since we know nothing of it, does he have something to add other than... Well, then he says, I am not even going to debunk your piece because I want you to be held accountable, table, both those, and judged by the Lord and not by public opinion. Holy cow. Was this on the the Facebook comment? No, that's just the, co- that's just the comments down below. That's the oh, okay. I didn't... Even, okay. That's, that's really funny. Oh, I see it now. Yeah, Rick Benjamin. Oh, and then of course, of course, like I said earlier, down in the comments, this article's most fundamental flaw is promoting Biden while failing to even mention the third candidate that is available to America every year, Joe Jorgensen, especially since she has by far the most consistent pro-science stance in every aspect. I love it. I love the libertarian who shows up in every comment section. Uh, People are my favorite. There's so much gold to mine from these comments. Well, libertarians mean, spend are a whole show weed. reading these and discussing them. Oof. Yeah. Anyway, so let's, not talk, let's not give any more time to this article, I, I, I would say, unless you have something else to say. No, I just think it just kind of cracks me up. I mean, it's funny. Uh, let's, uh, but, but speaking so we can get away from politics, I do want to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, viral posts. We talk about how Mormons love to feel important at a national level, right? So last week, this piece went around that showed a picture from, uh, let's see, Dallas Lowry. She said, my dad sent a Book of Mormon to President Donald Trump. And there's a picture of a Book of Mormon, paperback, cheapskate, that says, President Trump, it will be worth the read on page 322 through 367, which I did not look up. Do you have any idea what that might be? Um, Keep fighting for our liberty. God bless. And says, my dad sent this. My dad is a great missionary and loves God and country, just like Trump. And he got this reply, which I think is amazing. And then they edited it later on and said that it had no idea it would go viral. It did go viral because the response just said it's, sends it back to Mr. Lowry and says, thank you for your thoughtful gift and generous words of encouragement. The firm resolve of the American people to face challenges boldly is a great blessing to our country. I remain confident that together with trust in God, we will overcome any hardship and build a stronger and more unified country for future generations. I appreciate you taking the time to write. Your support means a great deal to Melania and me. Okay, so Cynic Jeff is coming out right now, folks. Brace yourselves. The, the thing, The thing with this, is if you Google that language in that letter, it's a form letter. It you is can a form find letter. other instances of people receiving a, a response back from the White House, which is still cool. But great. That's nice that anybody at the White House is taking the time to respond to something you send them. That's great. It's a form letter. The president's signature is is printed on it. He's not hand signing anything. Um, and it's a form letter response. So I don't want to like pop anyone's what's sorry burst one's bubble as i said like pop one's balloon i'm all over the place with metaphors right now but uh that's a good blues traveler reference so you know i'll, I'll run, I'll run with pop so uh it's a form letter but uh, being latter-day saints and feeling that we that this this people saw and said oh my gosh president trump has the book of mormon he received it he acknowledged it. He is going to read the Book of Mormon, everybody. This is happening. That is the level of hysteria I saw with this piece last week on social media, which just I, it just cracks me up. I don't know. I mean, and I don't want to take it away from people because it's a nice thought. 
it's great if anybody reads this and appreciates it. That's awesome. And I hope he did. I truly hope he actually saw this. That's yeah, but it. like you but, said, it's a form letter. What it made me think of is I remember um, when I was a kid, my younger brother wanted to write a letter to the president of the United States, who at the time was George H.W. Bush, the first Bush, right? And he wrote, uh, yeah, so he wrote President Bush a letter. And like a week or two later, he got a letter back. And it was very much a form letter. And then my, my, but my brother, I mean, he's probably like, I don't know, six, seven, eight at the time. And uh, so he was like, oh my gosh, the president wrote me back. So he wrote, and he ended up writing the, the, the Bush like f- at least four times. And each time he got a different letter back. That's interesting. I, they must have been paying attention to like, you know, but like, I, I think I think the last time it was like the same as the first one though. But it was a little funny because my, my little brother, seven years old, was like, I'm pen pals with the president. Oh, and that's kind of, but I kind of feel like the same thing is going on right now. There's like, look, 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 this guy has sent a gift to the president. He responded. It's like, you're kind of like my global seven-year-old brother who thinks he's pen pals with the president, buddy. This is a form letter. Yeah. So I don't know. I hate to be a curmudgeon about it. I just feel like, guys, this does not mean the president Trump is like going to get baptized or something. I mean, well, if, form, if president Trump actually saw any of this correspondence, you can have my next paycheck. <laughs> That's quite a promise. Um, so I, I looked up I, I, uh, I, in, the, in the gospel. I don't have a paperback or paper copy of the Book of Mormon handy, but I, you know, the gospel library app, they do have uh, page numbers. Um, so I found the, ah, the reference. And it's, uh, the, those pa- that page range covers Alma chapter 61 and chapter 62. And so we're, we're, it's hard for us to get away from this white horse prophecy idea because what happens in these chapters is Pahoran is writing a letter to Captain Moroni saying, the kingmen have taken over the government. I need you to march to my aid. And what happens is Moroni comes and marches to his aid and kills or executes or expels all the kingmen and saves the government from the kingmen. And so it's like, oh, that's, that's a thinly veiled message about what this person perceives is going on right now that. President Trump is Captain Moroni rescuing our government from the people who want to put in a Politburo or whatever to, to rule. There's over. a lot of irony in anyone arguing that the current administration wants to move us away from some sort of a of despotic. Hey, idea. hey, hey, let's not get political here, Jeff. Whatever. Um, anyway, so it's a nice, it's like a nice thought. Just folks, just any meme you ever see, be skeptical of a meme, Okay. If, especially if it doesn't at least cite a source at the bottom. This, of course, would not cite the source was just you know was anecdotal. But uh, just just be careful with memes of any type. They can just I don't know. It's just sad times. Do uh, you want to talk about COVID-ish things for a little bit? Let's do. I mean, what else would we really talk about? Well, I'm going to start off because this has made me feel ranty and special. So. Uh, there's a lot's gone down at BYU in terms of COVID. And maybe I should back up before I get to this story and we should, let's see. So where's the other one here? So first of all, uh, as you might be aware, Utah County in Utah has experienced something of a surge in cases of COVID because people there are being interesting in their response and sense of social responsibility. And only just recently, I believe, did the county supervisors finally say, okay, you got to have a mask. Like we're mandating masks now. End of story. It took them a while because it's blooming so badly there. So um, they've had some trouble at BYU with this, with a, with a lot of different things, with kids actually listening to the rules. And BYU has been uh, more stringent than the county in terms of what they've required. And so two BYU students 
withdrew from BYU over COVID-19 safety requirements enforced on campus. So these were students who got in trouble for violating COVID-19 measures. They're actually having disciplinary processes for students who refuse to comply with the COVID-19 safety measures. And these two students are going to show them they've just withdrawn from the university altogether. We don't know their names because of, you know, rules about PII and things like that. But, But we know that they are patriots and they are strong. So that kind of cracks me up that that happened in the first place. But that's not the... And so like there was a joint statement between BYU and UVU uh, just recently. So President Worthen and President Tumenez of Utah so, Valley. I'm curious, like how often does this happen? Does, I mean, because BYU and UVU, I mean, one's a private institution owned by the church. One's a public school, you know, run by the state of Utah. They are, but how often, how often do they issue joint statements in collaboration with each other? I can't think it's happened often at all, but I guess it's understandable just given the proximity. You know, the, oh, sure. I just, I mean, I guess kind of I'm just trying to highlight that this is yeah. feels pretty extraordinary. I mean, there's so many college students between Orem and Provo because of it. it I, I agree. So it's a joint statement and the joint statement is essentially saying, you know, guys, seriously, take this seriously. We are taking this seriously. It's not a joke. Like, be real. Uh, the comments, of course, are um, disheartening <laughs> from many of oh, the yeah. fine people of Utah Valley. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just, I don't, I mean... My mom's even been in Utah Valley and she was, she's been up visiting Utah and she was going to stay longer, but then they had this outbreak going on and she's, she's been okay. She's just been kind of keeping to herself. She went up for a family event, mm-hmm. but even she's like, I'm not staying in Utah much longer. It's just not, I'm not going to hang out here. So in Utah County, they're not taking it seriously enough. I mean, we probably don't want to get like deep into this conversation, but I really am perplexed by people who have such specific ideas of what personal liberty or like protecting our freedom means. And because like, I mean, I think that, I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm just, you know, kind of looking at the past with rose colored glasses or whatever, whatever that phrase is. Both of us are messing up with our cliches tonight. Um, but I, you know, I kind of feel like there used to be sort of more of a generally accepted, like, this is what liberty means, you know, or this, you know, this is what kind of the definition of, of, of you know, personal freedom or what, you know, what 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 we can expect as far as from a, a democratic re- republic form of government, but um, but people get really specific now, and it's like, you know, and it's and it's one thing I, I can kind of see the argument like when the county tells me that I have to wear a mask, like that's government overstepping its bounds. I can kind of see that argument, yeah. but then when you know you when like when a church institution like a private school says you have to wear a mask, and they say you're you're treading on my freedom. Like these are often the same people who are like, wait, you don't like the, the, the honor code go somewhere else. Like what? You don't like wearing a mask, go somewhere else. You know what I mean? Or like, or when the church, you know, we, we you guys talked about this or we might've talked about this uh, last time I was on the show, but uh, the, when, you know, the, the area presidency in Utah, you know, encouraged people to wear masks and to, you know, follow the COVID restrictions. And people were like, you church leaders are supposed to be protecting our freedoms. And I was like, how is this violating your freedom by wearing a mask to help slow the spread of a disease? Like I just, I'm very perplexed. And the, the comments underneath the Facebook post of that BYU UVU uh, statement uh, only added to how perplexed I feel. Cause I'm just like, where, uh, why, how is this like an attack on, freedom. I don't know. I, I just, no, it's, I agree with you. It's just, it doesn't, it's become a very strange, I don't think it was that way 
initially, but like so many things that have become politicized and odd, someone latched onto it and started saying, no, this is an assault on our freedoms. How dare they? And that resonates with some people. And then it just sort of snowballs from there because it's just not. I mean, honestly, wearing a mask is just like a selfless thing to do. And I think so many people misunderstand it because I feel so many people say, I am healthy. I'm willing to assume the risk. I don't need to wear a mask. And I'm like, that doesn't matter because the mask doesn't prevent you from getting it. It's to protect others from yourself. Um, Because I even heard someone say like, my my doctor friends wear a mask and they say it doesn't protect them from the patients. I'm like, well, no, it doesn't. It's to protect the patients from them. Like right. that's why you surgeons see, wear a mask. See, yeah. When you surgery. see a surgeon, the surgeon isn't like, oh my gosh, if I'm not wearing this, I'm going to get heart disease from the guy whose chest I'm cutting open. It's no, I, so I don't breathe microbes into this guy's chest cavity. Yeah. And that is like the very, that that is the very basis of the point of these types of masks. So, so extrapolate that out to the population at large. And it's the same principle behind it. And that's all it is. That's what we're trying to do. And it's not everything. It's not a panacea, but it's a st- it's a positive step, right? And that's and that's okay. And it's just so weird to me that we get so wrapped up in these, like you said, these concepts of just freedom and stuff. And there are consequences for it. I mean, we're seeing that in Utah, just in Utah County right now, for example, right. BYU. Like there are consequences for not doing it. And more people getting COVID than otherwise need to or should. Speaking of strange uh, expressions of personal freedom and the consequences that accompany it, there's another story that. Uh, Ran well. This I, this ran in the Daily Beast. This is the link that you sent me anyway, Daily Beast. But I saw this uh, in a, at least a couple other um, publications. This has been a. This has actually gotten some. Yeah, aside from Daily Beast, some, some national attention. Uh, but there is a company, a small startup in Utah County, uh, owned in part by a BYU student. That the name of the company is Young Slash Dumb. I, I'm sure you probably aren't supposed to pronounce the slash. So Young Dumb. Um, has is a small startup that hosts uh, dance parties, and they're very popular. Like lots and lots of people show up to these dance parties that Young Dumb uh, puts on, and uh, th- uh, some people are are making the argument. And I don't know like how much work has been put into specifically connecting the explosion and spread of COVID in Utah County to these dance parties themselves. But when you think about it. A whole bunch of young people in a room, packed tight together, breathing heavily and not wearing masks is, you know, the kind of thing you want to avoid during a time of COVID. But uh, in spite of it all, and in spite of like pleading from the county government and pleading from other places that are saying, like, stop doing this. The owners of Young Dumb are saying, like, ah, nah, there's nothing wrong with our dance parties. We're going to keep doing it. And it's just like, why? Why? Um Anyway, so yeah, so you're, I, I was expecting when you were talking about your mom visiting Utah County that, she, that you know, she was sticking around for a young, dumb dance party. That's why she was really there. But. She does have moves. <laughs> I bet. Anyway, so yeah, the, the, the people, you know, one of the owners of Young Dumb, his name's Kwaku L. He's become kind of a notorious figure on Mormon Twitter, if any of you guys are, are on that, into that Mormon Twitter scene. But uh, yeah, he's like just kind of, dismissed it with a little bit of mockery. The quote from this little article was, woke Twitter, you lose, and you always will. Oh, they're showing them. Yeah. They're showing them. It's sad. Yeah. There are other, um, a funny, weird little story. I, I guess it's kind of funny. So uh, one of the other sides of COVID, uh, you've got four missionaries who have been serving in the small island nation of Kiribati. Kiribati is how it's written. That's I thought it was Kiribati. 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 Um, 
Could have I wanted to say that ever since you and uh, you guys talked about it on an episode. Devin, Devin and I had a whole Yeah, you and Devin. I was like, man, I really want an excuse to say Kiribati now. So they've been serving on Christmas Island and it's so remote that they missed a flight back in April when more than a hundred missionaries, you know, went to the capital cities. Basically they're stuck. There's four missionaries who are just stuck on this Island and they have no way of getting off because of COVID restrictions. And they're just stuck. They're hanging out. I mean, there's worse places to be stuck, I guess you can just walk, you know, what is the population of Christmas Island? Uh, It can't be large. I mean, it's a pretty small Island. It is. The weird thing is Christmas Island is, is actually part of, it's an Australian territory, which is- Really, it's not good. part of Kiribati? It's not Kiribati? part of Kiribati. Kiribati. Which is, which is strange because the island sets it out. Uh, the Reef family of Fenzioras, yeah, I don't know why they're talking about, unless there's a Christmas Island that's also part of Kiribati. Because I know Christmas Island, the known Christmas Island, is an Australian external territory. Interesting. In the Indian Ocean. So maybe we're talking about this. It has to be a different one. Ah, for the island of Kiribati- or Kiribati. See, look at me go. Sorry, there's a different one there called Kiratamts or Christmas Island. It has about 6,400 people, which is more than I thought. Is this so? This is this the Christmas Island that's famously like right on the other side of the international dateline? So that it's you know you know it's the first place to have the New Year and everything. Well, uh, well, well, Jared, let me consult uh, Google Maps here. And uh, I will tell you uh, what it says. It is far out there, but the international dateline is screwy in so many ways. But, well, and that doesn't run through the Indian Ocean, right? It, it runs. No, no. This so so. There's Christmas Island, which is Australia, which is in the Indian Ocean. Then there's this island, which is probably it's, it's written Kiritimati, which I don't know if that's actually Kiritimas. I, I don't. I'm you know botching, of course, the language of the people. Uh, but that one is far away. Yes, it might be that first one uh, based on the, the, the international dateline one. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's way out there far east. I mean, it's pretty much due south of Hawaii. It's almost, it looks like at the same latitude as Oahu. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's that far, it's that far over. What I was wanting to do, it has 6,500 people. I was going to look up, um, uh, I was going to look up some countries here on Kimura.com. But I don't want to bore well, our listeners. As g- I- going back to the story real quick, one of the things that I thought was Please, really interesting about this was that um, at least I think two of the missionaries they're like either at their two year mark already or they've passed it, and so it's not they're just, just that like they're yeah, stuck in their area for months and months and possibly until the new year. Like I think that's what they were saying. It was probably the soonest they'd be able to leave. But these guys are like way past their two year mark, or they're going to be, and so it's interesting that um, you know just because of circumstances, forced circumstances, they're going to serve a much longer than 24 month mission and have that much more time, I guess, with the people that they love, uh, you know, and serving, they love but, them. you know, but there are reasons why we keep missions to 18 months or two years. Like there's a level of burnout that happens. And I, I really hope these, uh, these elders are sustained and that they'll be well, able to, here's, you know, here's to keep the up upside. Their, their spirits. The upside here, the Island itself is its own district as far as church districts go. And there are four branches on the island. So at least you've got some membership there. It's not, you know, they're not just on a little completely unoccupied speck of land. With Sure. So they've got uh, some support. They got some support, but. Still, I mean, that's got to be hard to be away from your family. I mean, I, it's nice that uh, missionaries can Skype and stuff now. I'm sure that's helping a lot with just being able to stay in touch with their families. You'd think they'd just stow away on a boat that would go to Hawaii. Hawaii. Oh, no, yeah. they can't because of the shipping laws in the United States. 
<laughs> of course. Is there a flag vessel? Who knows? Uh, yeah. Anywho. Anyway, hope yeah, prayers for them, man. Like I hope they're they're all right and that they like I said, I hope they keep their spirits up and that uh sooner than later they'll be able to get home or get wherever they need to be because that, that's a tough situation. Yeah. Even if exactly. even if you've got lots of friendly people who are helping you out, like you they I'm sure they feel very isolated. So Oh, of course. Big time. It's your um, turn to pick a story, Jared. I don't want to do one right now. Go ahead. Well, I don't know. Take I mean, story. I don't know if you were saving this for the end, but I, I kind of want to talk briefly because we're we're less than a week out from general conference, yeah, and we had kind of put up here on the on the things to talk about this this idea that maybe we talk about conference predictions, and I and I know you and Joseph you always talk temple predictions, and maybe we could talk about that next if you want to. But I do. I'm kind of curious. I don't know if I have any conference predictions because it is just such a weird time, right? Like we know obviously that uh, I mean that that we're going to be having another. Um, all remote conference, right? Where no, no no public attendance. So I'm assuming it'll be in that same little setting. I don't know what that room was where they broadcast from before. Um, it was a training room. In was it training? Church, was it in the conference church, center? Or was church, it in the no, office building? I heard it was in the church office building. Okay, which makes sense. You know why? Why go across the street and just keep it? You know. Just, anyway, I I guess the only I don't necessarily have a they don't go I, across the street. They have tunnels, Jared. They have tunnels that go. Okay, up. go under the street. Sorry, sorry. Um, but um, I guess uh, rather than a prediction, I guess I can just kind of say, here's my conference wish list. Is that is that fair game? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, go for it. It is a really short wish list. I just really want to hear, like last conference, I loved one of my favorite talks was Elder Holland because he really did get very real and talk about what was going on. And it wasn't his whole talk, but he addressed the situation and he addressed not only, um, you know, just what, what we're going through now with COVID and, and everything, but he also, I loved that it was, you know, he wasn't like talking about a time when we're going to return to normalcy. He was talking about making a new normal, right? He was talking about how, once this is over, we're going to like eradicate the diseases of, and he gave this great list of like poverty and racism. I think racism was one of my, I don't have it memorized, but like he like was talking about not only like getting back, getting the world back to normal, but like making the world a better place um, regardless of what we think is normal. And I, and um, anyway, so I want to hear, I guess my wish list and my conference prediction or my conference hope is that we get more stuff like that. Where, where like I want, I, what I need maybe is what I'm feeling is more of that uplifting, like, hey, let's recognize right now what we're going through, and it's hard, because I need kind of, you know, it would be nice to hear more of that acknowledgement. And then to say, like, and here's what we're going to do to, like, not only get through it, but to, like, get through it well and, and get through it better than we were before. And I would just, you know, I don't know. I just, I like having a living prophet and apostles um, because they are great, you know, and powerful witnesses of Christ, obviously, but also because we can, we don't have to like go into the scriptures and like Nephi try and um, liken, which is also obviously valid and something we should be doing, but we don't have to like search for something relevant to COVID because we have a living, we have living oracles who can tell us things from the Lord or, or via inspiration that are relevant to COVID right now. And so I guess, and not just COVID, but just everything. There's so much going on in the world. A lot of up, upheaval, a lot of unrest, a lot of division. You know, we're seeing a lot of us, I feel like we're kind of dividing into ites, uh, like in 4th Nephi. 
And I want to hear some unifying talk. You know, I want to hear some rallying, like, it's okay, we're going to get through this, and here's how, and here's you know, words of comfort from the Lord through me to you. And uh, that's my conference my conference hope. That then, and, and I'll go ahead and say it's a conference prediction. We're going to get some hope for I, tough times. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I feel like six months ago, um, I was expecting more, more remarks to directly address COVID, more than what we got. Um, I think it still happened, like you mentioned, Elder Holland and others. But I was kind of surprised. Some of the conferences going by, and I was like, "Is anyone really going to like talk about what's going down, other than kind of oblique references to it?" Uh, I think it'll be more head on this time, just because now it's been six more months, and here we still are, and we've been living with it. And so I could, yeah, yeah I could go for some of that hope. I would well. also, I'll, love, I, I would also love a bold, like a bold um, statement, uh, just striking down white supremacy. And we got some really good bold newsroom uh, statements about white supremacy a few years ago. Um, but I would love to hear it from the pulpit and just be like, Hey, listen, this is not, this is not the gospel. This is the opposite of the gospel. And if you have any kind of white nationalist or white supremacist ideas, here's why you should stop having them right now. I would love that. But again, conference wish list. That'd be awesome too. I, I could be totally into that. In terms of the setting, I assume it might be in that same room, but I also feel like last time around, uh, things were a little more, they weren't hasty, but you know what I mean? Like like COVID really started hitting the fan in mid-March, so they had a like, couple of weeks sure. to just scramble and redo this whole thing. So I wonder if that, I, I part of me wonders if they'll broadcast it for some reason from the conference center so that even just the archival footage and the, of them speaking from the pulpit looks like other conferences so that years from now, when you want to pull up a conference talk and see them speaking, you don't know that they're just standing in an empty conference center. Oh, but but that's, it, enough, that's interesting. That, is, for continuity, it would make it not stick out. I wonder if there would be audio issues because I'm sure having like that conference center full of bodies creates a different acoustic it experience. It absorbs a lot of the sound. Yeah. Right. And so if you had them um, standing at the pulpit, Without all of those people in the room, would it well, be like well, weirdly this echoey? Way, or? Well, you could just yeah, but you could just kill the house speakers. You could do it. So all it's doing is pulling in. It's just pulling. Oh, just like a mic, mic like you and I are using, just yeah. direct feed into the. Okay. They could. They could just. You're smart. You're smart, Jeff. Speakers. Thank you. I am. I am. I'm an audio engineer maven. Um, I don't know that I have any other big predictions either. I've been thinking about this because these have gone around, especially in the Nelson era where we keep expecting, like, uh, to borrow a phrase from Elizabeth Warren, but radical systemic change. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, COVID. I don't know if that's if things are still going to happen. I don't know if there have been plans to keep altering things in the church, but COVID just made it just put the brakes on all of it. So right now we're just trying to keep our heads above water. Let's be honest. I mean, we are. I think there's a huge concern in the church about activity rates declining substantially even when things get back to normal because we're getting accustomed to what how things have been yeah and, and that's why and this is a whole other topic I, I feel like whether some groups are more hastily trying to get back into church or not because of a fear of just like losing your ward which is a legitimate fear um so i don't know we've just been trying to just just keep our head above water for all this time so i don't know if there will be anything drastic i also don't know what we would change at this point like at a church-wide level because when what would we change? So many other things come out of newsroom releases. You know, like if they update something in the temple, that comes out of that. If mm-hmm. mis- some missionary policies come from the newsroom, it's a very short list of things that are dealt with in general conference itself. And the things we've covered are getting rid of home and visiting teaching and redoing that program and establishing come follow me mm-hmm. and 
and two hour church and, you know, um, home center church supported church. Uh, also, and, and did you say the change from home teaching to ministering? Was that- I said that. And then also like reorganizing the priesthood quorums and getting rid of the high priest group. Right. More, so I mean, more there's some still substantial things that they've you know announced and, and talked about, explained <laughs> in general conference. And those are substantial things you would not just bring up in a press release. And that's understandable. So I don't know in terms of major news, what else, like what, and they've even changed youth as well. That's the other thing that came up, right? So the youth programs have been altered substantially. But even things like having um, uh, people advance in their class uh, for priesthood or young women, sorry, young men or young women, whatever we're calling it now, uh, is now in January as opposed to when their birthday happens. Even that came out in a press release. That wasn't a conference announcement. So, That's true. Or like women and, and baptized members, you know, eight and up being able to be witnesses for baptisms. That was a press release. Exactly. So it's a short, short list. And I've run out of ideas as far as what else would qualify for, for conference discussion in terms of what they could change. So we've done a lot and I don't know what hasn't been changed yet at this point. Cause the only things I can think of are stuff like, uh, a woman can be ward mission leader or men will be primary presidents. That's press release stuff. If any, yeah. that's just like, a ha- that's a handbook update. Without a woman can be Sunday school president. I mean, groundbreaking, right? You know? Right. Like what, like I just don't know what else we cover at this point, unless they do drastic changes to missionaries again, whatever that would be like, what lower the age to 17. I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> What's we're going to hear about. Um, so beyond that, I don't know. I'm with you. I just want some good hope, some good thoughts. Uh, we're not expecting a, you know, no new apostles or anything this time around. Obviously, we'll probably have some 70s released and come in. But even then, a lot of that happens in April compared to October. Um, so we'll see. Maybe they'll mention- bring back the office of church patriarch. That would be fun. I want them to bring back 70s when it was the other type, but when people were like called a 70s at a local level. Oh, yeah. Then. Yeah, no, my that- dad was a 70 back in the day. Yeah. See, that confused me so much. When I was on my mission, I met some guy who was he was less active by that point. They're like, yeah, he's a seventy. I'm like, the dude's a seventy. He's a seventy. <laughs> like, I don't, you don't, they don't tell you any of this stuff in the FTC, and, and I still didn't understand it at the time. I had to learn more about it years later. Um, one thing, of course, yes, Jared did hint that we will be doing, of course, temple predictions. We do have them published as I speak on the This Week in Mormons website. Our October 2020 temple predictions, everyone. Um, I don't want to spoil all of them for you, but there are some new ones to the list. There are some classics that have come up many times, such as uh, Mongolia, which I'm pushing for even harder now in this era. But beyond that, we got like, what, Osaka, Japan, Charlotte, North Carolina. Joe says Tacoma, Washington, but I don't really agree with it. You know, fun times like that. A second temple in Sao Paulo. Joe, my co-writer on this, is very, very into uh, metropolitan areas having second temples now. Ever since they announced, I think the first one to really do it in was that it sense, Lima? was Lima. I mean, there yeah. was already there. We already had two temples in South Jordan, Utah, because of the Jordan River Temple and the Ochre Mountain Temple. But that wasn't, you know, advertised like South Jordan, the land of two temples. That's just where the temple happened to fall. I mean, it's just like it's OK. It's like, you know, Salt yeah, Lake so it's so like, big deal. Lima was another Lima temple was, in Salt Lake County. Yeah. Yeah. So Lima was the first one. It was like, hey, we're going to build another temple in Lima, Peru, where we already have a temple. Wow, that's cool. And so Joe is very into these notions of other places that could get two temples. Um, so he believes Sao Paulo, Brazil is now ripe for another temple. I believe Las Vegas is ripe for a second temple somewhere in the valley. 
That's a good um, point, especially since it's, I mean, it's not a small temple, but it is a, the, the design of the Las Vegas temple is smaller than a lot of temples. And like I could 80, see them putting a second one for, to increase capacity. Yeah. I mean, it's big and there are lots of members there and why not? So, uh, go and read our reasonings. Uh, Kiribus makes another appearance. We've called for a temple there for some time. Uh, it's actually, Kiribus is actually quite LDS in terms of like per capita. So that could be fun. It's always fun to break temples. Who knows how we'll do. I think Bolivia is due for another temple, but my big one is Spanish fork. I'm going for it, man. All in. I can see that. Even though they just got one in Payson, not long, only five years ago. Yeah. I think it could yeah. happen in Spanish Fork. So go read our temple predictions, everyone. But you have to there, say Spanish it, Fark. It, it, I actually write it out as Spanish Fark in one yeah. point. So it's a fun read. We do it for fun and enjoyment. We're not prophets. I get it. But if you don't think the temple department, along with the brethren, is looking at the numbers. Right. When no, you do, I mean, you guys, you never get them all right, but you usually get a few. So it's always fun to see we did, which ones. We did past. really well last time around. I mean, yeah, I know. No, there were some, and especially there was like, a, I can't remember which one, but there was one that was sort of an outlier and, no, it was the one in uh, Missouri, right? Where you actually didn't bother to predict it this time around. Yeah, we and finally <laughs> announced it. Yeah, we said we're not predicting Rogers slash Bentonville, Arkansas this time. It's never oh, going to happen. Arkansas, yeah, Arkansas, that's right. Yep. Well, last time around, I mean, we called the second temple in the DRC. We called the temple in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the one in Benin City, Nigeria, the one in Bahia Blanca. We, we said one in Abu Dhabi, but they announced it for Dubai. That's fine. Shanghai, Plus. none of it. None of us saw Shanghai coming. So well, and who knows if that's even really happening still? Oh, that's, shush you! Well, we haven't really heard anything since that uh, statement. You know, the article about the statement from the Shanghai government, where they're like, uh, "I know uh, we're Weird. not we're not aware of this. We never said that." So like, there hasn't which, been anything which, else. And I, and we talked about this too, I think. But like, there's probably a good reason why they, we haven't heard any more about it because it's like they probably kind of upset the the. The, the balance by talking about it. And so now if, if, if it is going forward, we're not going to hear announcements about it. They're just going to keep it quiet. Not, not for a long time. Yeah. At least anyway, I know we, we assumed they had everything just kind of ironed out with that because they wouldn't dare announce it otherwise. So who knows other ones that are interesting. We have not heard anything about the temples in Zimbabwe or Kenya for some time. They were, they were announced a while ago now, years ago at this point. That's true. And those have been quiet. I mean, there are a lot of corruption issues in those countries, but I think it's interesting that, uh, I don't know what's going on with those. Uh, before we move on, if you're still listening by this point, I just want to do a plug. Our 500th episode is coming up. And if you are a longtime listener of this delightful program, I would love for you to leave us a message, a voice memo, if you will. Okay. We will link to this in this post. You can also, if you go to thisweekinmormons.com, it's up at the very top where it says, hear yourself on TWIM. Click on that. You go there. It's right there in your browser. You can click a button and just leave us a message. And like, seriously, we want to get listeners comments and thoughts and whatever, and weave them into, you know, our celebratory episodes and hear from you. I mean, yes, there's, there's a certain amount of self-congratulatory effort going on here, but I would love that. I would love to hear from all of you. Many of you have taken the time to email us over the years, whatever else, but if you want to have your voice heard on the show, perhaps. Just go there. This is a, it's a super easy interface. It's just right there on the website. You don't have to have any fancy gear or do anything crazy to us. Just click on the button, say your piece, click done, send it to us, and we will get it. I just want to plug that. I would really encourage you to do it. It would be fun to have all of you participate. Jared, you may continue. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Um, just uh, I just thought maybe as long as we were talking about temples, it would be interesting to talk about uh, the article that ran in the church news uh, just a few days ago, uh, talking about mm, yes, they, they were they're basically updating us on the progress of the 
uh, restoration, renovation, that's the right word. Not, I was going to say restoration project. No, it's a renovation project, you know, that, that, that was, I think this wasn't a general conference announcement, wasn't it? That they were talking about when they talked about, I think President Nelson announced the, the closure and renovation of the Salt Lake Temple. I think anyway, he this, did actually announce that in conference. Then he said other pioneer temples would also right. join at Which some is point. good. Like we want to preserve these things and make sure that they can not only remain as historical landmarks, but we want them to continue to be safe and functional for people to use them. I mean, that's why these, that's why we built these temples. So yeah, there's a great little article uh, in the church news uh, kind of giving updates on the renovation. And it's got some cool pictures with uh, the exposed foundations. And they gave some updates talking about uh, what they're doing to reinforce the foundations. And um, yeah, uh, you pointed out, uh, I believe in the Facebook post, that one of those pictures that you, you can kind of see into, uh, looks like you're looking into the basement. And it looks like you're looking at uh, some lockers, maybe from like, the room. I guess that's the dressing room. They didn't bother to clean that out before they just, Right. Before they Road took the excavator to it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so funny little thing. But yeah, it's a, it was a good little article. Um, I don't know if we need to go in depth about it, but it's cool. And there are some good up close pictures of what the foundations look like and good explanations of what they're doing to the foundations to uh, reinforce them and make sure that it's just up to and surpassing all of the codes so that, um, yeah, so that we keep on having a, a Salt Lake temple to go use. Um, and they talk about uh, the earthquake that, you know, made news. What, what, I don't even remember. I've lot, completely lost track of time. Like all of us have, like we're, we're dealing with COVID time, but months ago, there was that earthquake um, where, you know, Moroni famously dropped his, his trumpet. Uh, but they talked about that and how that stopped work on the temple. But um, that they're, you know, making sure that we know when earthquakes come again, that it's going to be okay. So yeah, Pretty sure I, the earthquake was, uh, I think it was the same week everything happened with COVID when like everything shut down and they announced conference was going to go remote. It was like all right then in March. Yeah. No, I, cause yeah, I remember b- people being like in Utah saying like, okay, like this feels really weird because it's like the hits keep coming. Cause then, and then like, even after the, the, the initial quake, there were like, I want to say there were aftershocks for like several days. Um, no doubt. Yeah, it kept people on their toes. So anyway, check out the article. Hey, I've got another cool thing folks can check out. I love this. Jeff Borders, one of our writers over at the website, uh, discovered that the missionary language training software is now available to all members. So if you want to like learn a language and you don't want to pay for Rosetta Stone, I guess, and you want to learn that language specifically in gospel terms and not be able to speak outside of that terminology as you associate with other people, um, you, you can access this now. It's called Tall Embark. Tall is the old uh, language suite, learning suite that the MTC has used for at least like 15 years. But they created a better, more useful, more intuitive system that can work on mobile or on a website to go and learn languages. And you can even interact with other people. Uh, and they just decided to make it available to everybody if you want. I guess you can find a link it's a link that'll go to the app store. So if you are in the gospel living app, if you remember the gospel living app, it's that, how do I charitably describe the gospel living app? It's that, <laughs> it's that it's, app that it seems to continue that, to be under development and not quite reached its potential yet. It's that would be it almost like, it's like they want to make it like a social network or something. Anyway, though, if you go to the gospel living app, there, there was a prompt on it, for example, that said, hey, make a friend while speaking Portuguese. And Jeff clicked on that and it took him to his app store and prompted him to download this other software. And lo and behold, you can just get in there and learn languages. And now, I think 
I, I want to say you were kind of making fun of the the fact that you would only be able to learn. Kind that of was just a joke. Under. That was just a joke. Well, well, I mean, that's I think what's kind of cool about that because, like, you know, I I I, I learned Spanish. Uh, I studied it in high school, and then I did a Spanish speaking mission, and then yeah, like in the mission, of course, in the MTC, like I learned all of these very gospel centric things, uh, and then I went ahead and continued my Spanish study in in college, did a minor, but you know, but like. And I was at BYU, so I guess, but even then, we weren't talking about gospel topics. We were talking about, like, you know, literature and mechanics of language and things like that. So I like the idea that, you know, in most um, settings where you're trying to learn a language. So right now, I, I haven't been doing it lately because we were, I, I kind of had to put a lot of things on hold because of the move. But for the last several months, I've been using uh, um, Duolingo to study mm-hmm. French because it's just interesting to me and I, I've really enjoyed it. But, you know, Duolingo is not going to teach me gospel centric or most really a lot of church centric even outside of the church you know like religious language and so it's cool that tall is available now so that if you did end up saying i've learned a lot of french i want to go to france and then you end up at a sacrament meeting in france and you can't understand what anyone's saying because duolingo didn't teach you any of those words so i like that uh you know that it's going (laughs) to fill in some of the gaps that other like mango languages and rosetta stone all those things they're not going to teach you the stuff tall is going to teach you so i I like that we all have access to that I, I like that we have access to it. And I also like that you've set up a scenario where like, if you happen to find yourself going to church in France. I, that's a real will, scenario. I did find myself in a sacrament meeting in France and I didn't know what was going on. I've also been in a sacrament meeting in Norway and I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I knew what was going on, but yeah. like, I couldn't understand the words. I think the last time I went to a foreign language sacrament, I think it was when we were in Germany. And yeah, you're just like, okay, it's fine. Everyone was nice. It's pretty cool if you look at this. So if you click on the link in this article, though, to the de- there's a desktop version. Uh, it authenticates you with your Latter-day Saint login, the same one you use to get to the church website or do whatever else. And the list of languages is, is extensive. I mean, they've got pretty much anything. It's not like this is just shorter for the general public. You can pretty much pick apart anything. Ukrainian, Turkish, Vietnamese, Danish, Dutch, Amharic. If you're going over there to uh, Ethiopia, for example, uh, you know, Bulgaria, Cambodian, whatever, you name it. I don't even know what Hiligaynon is, but I'm assuming that's from the Philippines. Do you have any ideas? I don't No, I mean, there are so many languages out there. Like, I, I think it's yep, amazing. Central, and I love, and that's another language. thing too. It's like, I don't know if any of these are necessarily endangered languages, you know, like, like, you know, there are languages like the Hawaiian language or Navajo language that are considered endangered languages, but it's cool that again, the church is like, Hey, learn any, learn gospel language and basic communication skills in any one of these languages. And people can choose something kind of obscure or different or, you know, potentially endangered and, you know, help, help preserve the diversity of language that makes our world beautiful and great. Yeah. And I'm assuming this is essentially a list of all the languages our missionaries are learning. I, I don't I know if this, so compre- too. Yeah. if this is comprehensive, if it's missing any. So for example, cause we have like the, we have scriptures in more languages than we have missionaries speaking. Uh, like, like for example, I'm looking at this, there's no Arabic option. Apparently we don't have any Arabic speaking missionaries, I guess. Um, hmm. Even though you can get the Book of Mormon in Arabic, you can also get the Book of Mormon in Persian, for example. Oh, that's actually on here, right? Persian is on here. There we go. Um, some yeah, time no, ago, I knew it was in Persian. Yeah. We used to, but that's because uh, I forgot. Yeah, we do have Persian-speaking missionaries, like in Southern California, which has large Persian expat populations. We had missionaries in Iran back when, before '79. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty diverse. There's no Catalan on here, which is a huge oversight, but no one is perfect. And considering my mission did not have a Catalan language program, whatever. Anyway, I'm a language person too, Jared. I think it's rad. It's cool. It is rad. 
Um, what is not necessarily also bad? also oh. the movie Rad is now out on Blu-ray um, and streaming on Amazon. In is case that anyone the one I can't remember? That, that's the BMX biking one. BMX biking. Now. I was going to say skateboarding. I was like, no, no, no. I think it's biking. But I, yeah, yeah. Rad is the BMX biking one with the now incarcerated Lori Laughlin. And <laughs> very, uh, very briefly incarcerated. Yes. And then Airborne is the one with rollerblading, which is also really good. That one's amazing. Awesome. Thank you for that little plug. That was very important. You're welcome. I said rad and it just happened. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of along the lines, we've talked about missionary languages. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, missionaries in general, as far as like the effects of serving a mission. So this comes from religionnews.com, which uh, the religious uh, news service, which um, is mostly authored and um, you know passed along by our friend Jana Reese of the Flunking Sainthood blog, and uh, she uh, wrote a pretty interesting little article about a study uh, by an economist named Lee Crawford, who uh, did a little study wondering if he was asking the question if um, serving a foreign mission makes you more interested in like foreign development or like more interested in like global affairs and global development. And it was really, I know, it was a pretty interesting article. I need to reread. I kind of read through it pretty quickly because I was just, you know, trying to prep for this episode. I want to go back through. Uh, but what the things that stuck out to me is that it's sort of a mixed bag that like for, serving a foreign mission in general does make you more kind of aware and more compassionate, I guess is what I'm using to describe what I remember uh, towards other, the international development and being like, you know, wanting good things, uh, being more uh, willing to donate time or money and things like that. But she found, or he found that Lee um, Crawford in his study, he found that it didn't necessarily make you more um, likely to support government intervention and like, um, or, or government type things, government sponsored programs such as, um, increased and more lenient immigration to allow people seeking asylum or seeking um, economic development in the United States to be able to come over. And so it was sort of like an arm's length sort of compassion. (laughs) I'm totally like not explaining this well. The article does a much better job and it's really worth looking at and reflecting on and kind of thinking about how you fall on the spectrum, especially if you served in a foreign country or if you've had any kind of experience abroad how did that affect you and your viewpoint about world development and, um, you know, that that kind of level of compassion that extends beyond your community and your nation and your ethnicity? Anyway, no, it's I, really good food for that. I liked it too. I'll just uh, opine briefly on it because I served in Spain and the majority of the people we taught were immigrants. And so it's sort of the other side of it, whereas I wasn't in those countries from which they came, but I, I came to understand some of the circumstances they left to try to have a better life. And you still saw the squalor many of them lived in mm-hmm. uh, just to try to remain viable You know, when it, in the European Union developed country, which is expensive and difficult, and it's hard to get papers and all those kinds of things and, and find your way. I mean, I'd say the majority of the people we taught were from usually from Ecuador, Colombia, and Peru. And we taught a lot of Africans from Ghana and Nigeria. There were a lot of Francophones there too, but we didn't speak French. So that was a problem. Um, it was it was really eye-opening for me. I mean, just being a suburban kid from Southern California, like I'd seen poorer areas and this and that. I mean, of course, there are downtrodden areas in Southern California, but it was, yeah, it helped me appreciate a lot, both what I had and just what people 
wanted to experience and go through just to have a better life, you know, and then hearing their stories, seeing like when we teach a lot of people from, especially from African countries, how many of them would pack into a tiny apartment because that's all they could afford, you know, totally violating, I'm sure the lease and uh, fire code regulations, all kinds of things like that. But that was the life they had. And that's what they had to do to get ahead. And I was like, man, like, like, where are you coming from? You, these are people who like hitchhiked across the Sahara desert and found their way on a boat and claim asylum and all that kind of stuff. And it really just gave me a lot of compassion for them. Sometimes I'd be frustrated too, because they'd be hard. It's hard when you're teaching people in those situations as a missionary, because they, they're, it's all about their livelihood. And so they hear that there's a job they can get in Madrid doing construction. They're gone. And they don't think to call the missionaries and tell you or anything like that, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It's interesting. We, you and I had very similar experiences. Um, even though you served in Spain, I served in the United States. I served in the great city of Phoenix, Arizona. For the, I was I was in northern Arizona at the end of my mission, but still, I was in, I was in the United States, but I was Spanish speaking. And so, very similarly to you, even though I was in a very developed and relatively wealthy nation, and even a very developed and, and wealthy city in many ways, um, I was serving immigrants uh, among immigrants and working with them. And and yeah, like. It definitely, um, you know, opened my eyes to the experiences other people have and uh, who grow up outside of the United States. Most of the people that I worked with and knew were from Mexico and most of them from northern Mexico, like the, the, the bordering states like Sonora and Chihuahua. But, you know, I, I knew I met people from all over the place, you know, even some uh, countries in South America. And, um, yeah, it was extremely eye opening to me. And I learned a lot of new empathy and um new viewpoints on what people go through in the world, what brings somebody to the United States, what motivates somebody to cross a border, whether legal or illegally, uh, with or without uh, documentation. And uh, it, I thought it was interesting that one of the things that it specifically talked about in the article that didn't necessarily change for some of these people was their views on like immigration. Whereas for me, that was one of the main things that changed for me. I, I have a much different view and opinions on yeah, me too. immigration based on my experience as a missionary. And I didn't even leave the United States. You know, I was in, I was in Phoenix. So yeah, it's interesting. I've never, I have always thought of us as having very different uh, uh, mission experiences, especially since you uh, continue to speak with the Theta of Spain, Spanish from Spain. Uh, you know, I've thought that made well, our yes, experiences more, completely you. different, uh, <laughs> but no, but honestly, yeah, it just, it's funny how you, you and I were in very different circumstances, but we still had very similar experiences. So that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm really grateful for how eye-opening my mission was in a lot of ways. It gave me a lot of compassion for uh, people who go through way more crap than I'll ever go through in my yeah. entire life, for sure. And I wish we could all, uh, all have that. I don't know. It's just, I think we could all do with a bit more empathy in general, like especially nowadays, like across the board, we could do with more. Oh, especially. Yeah, I know for sure. And I, and and myself included, you know, I find myself lacking empathy for people who have different political viewpoints than I do. And I'm like, I I have to self-correct all the time and say, stop doing that. You know, you're doing the ites thing again. I'm like making the, you know, myself a part of one tribe and other people part of a different tribe and i'm like no i need better empathy i need better compassion and understanding whether it's for people of a foreign country or my neighbor next door so yeah exactly well said jared well said sometimes i say things well it happens so uh we're getting long on time but this is an interesting little bit here so they say a study argues that news articles that fail to use the correct name of a church are more likely to include negative content what this is going back to, of course, some of the both the demormoning 
of our faith and our culture, and also just the the church's ongoing war to get journalists to use the the correct name of the church. Uh, and we've gone off on our opinions about both of those differently. I think, of course, using the correct name of the church when you're naming the church is important. Like we're not the Church of Latter Day Saints, right? Like I, I, we're not the Mormon Church. People shouldn't say that. So, but alleging that um, 43% of the articles that use the correct name of the church, sorry, sorry, 43% of the articles studied in 2019 used the correct name of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but those that fail to use the name are more likely to be negative. So this is pretty interesting. This comes out of Public Square magazine, and uh, it's an online publication produced by church members. Uh, I've seen some of their data tables and I'm not sure I agree with everything. And I saw some people picking this apart better than I have, because it seems like they've got a lengthy list. All the data is available for how they've judged this multiple, multiple, multiple pages of, of an article and whether the way it refers to the church and how they're scoring all of this. But it, sometimes it seems that like the article itself could be like negative in general. And like just someone involved happens to be a Latter-day Saint and they'll just say, well, it's a negative article about the church. And it does, and and it just never uses the full name of the church because it's not relevant. It seems like they went a little bit out of their way to score things, to lean that way, to make a point. Yeah, um, but I do think that's interesting data. But I also think it's I don't know, like the media, the media, the mo- the singular, the monolith, the media. Well, I guess yes. it's a singular. If it's singular, it would be the medium, wouldn't it, Jared? It would. Um, be. The the monolith that is the media, the single acting body. Um, the problem is. I think some of them might want to be on board with using the full correct name of the church, but it's just super difficult because we have not developed a shorthand in lieu of Mormonism to describe what we are in general. We can say Latter-day Saints instead of Mormons. It's longer, but you can do that. But how do you describe the culture and the church and all of that together? You can't call it Latter-day Saintism. That's not really a thing. And so yeah, the media no, is like, still. I have long been an advocate for. I mean, it's still not short, but if you, if you don't want to say members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, you can say. I I think that we can keep in the spirit of what uh, President Nelson has asked us to do by saying Latter Day Saint Christians, because we keep the name of Christ in there, but we have the modifier of Latter Day Saints, so we're not just like Protestant Christians or non-denominational Christians or Catholic Christians or Orthodox Christians or whatever. You know, so Latter-day Saint Christians. It's shorter than uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. It's still longer than Mormons. Uh, so it's not perfect, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know why this hasn't caught on. I've been advocating for a while now. <laughs> so it's worth looking at this. You can We can link to the, you know, we'll link to this in the original. Yeah. If you really want to spend time digging into the data, it's interesting to see how they decided. Yeah, to- and that's the thing. And like, I mean, again, and this is something, I read the article and I didn't really have time to dig into it. But, and honestly, you know, I took... Basically, I took the equivalent of half a semester of statistics as part of my political science degree back in the day. And most of what I learned about statistical analysis has fallen out of my head since then. You know, they updated the major and now you have to take a full stats course. Which I think is good. I mean, it only makes sense. But anyway, so I don't know much. But I I do think a couple of things stuck out to me. First of all, just to look and see that just because one thing that's important, because I think, you know, we tend to like want to find a general principle and grab it. And that's our takeaway. And so I think people should be careful in like listening to us talk about it, or even just listening to the the headline. It doesn't mean that anytime a media outlet uses the word Mormon, they're, they're writing a negative article. Like that is definitely not what this study is concluding. 
Uh, on the other hand, it did say, and this is a quote from the article, it says, negative content about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was significantly correlated with also using the word Mormon to describe the church or its members. Uh, and then the article editorializes and says the study didn't attempt to explain the correlation. But still, the, the fact that it used the word significant, that is a like kind of a very important word when you're doing statistics. If it's if there is a significant correlation, that means there really is something to it. And even though they didn't uh, show causation or explain correlation, it means that there is something to this. And so it would be worth looking at the data and going into it a little more. But I, I just want to advocate that everybody who reads this, especially if you're not going to get past the first couple of paragraphs, exercise caution in the conclusions that you draw. And don't just assume that every time... Uh, like the New York Times or the Washington Post or some AP outlet says Mormon that they're like intending ill will or well, even the Tribune. I mean, it's very easy for uh, yeah. Well, we all know the Tribune is an anti-Mormon. Of course, it is, and that, and that's why I've got to be careful because it's like what defines negative in terms of that coverage. I, I think the Trib is a great example where sometimes there's they go out of their way to kind of pick on things, but sometimes the Tribune just covers stuff that Deseret News isn't going to cover, sure. and it's. And it's well researched, and it's just matter of fact, and it just it, and it's it is what it is. And maybe it's not comfortable for us. Maybe it's not something we want to talk about. Maybe it doesn't paint the rosy picture of the church that we hear about. But that's a discussion worth having. Does that mean it's inherently negative? Right. I don't always think so. Uh, I, I don't think just because everything isn't doesn't function essentially as PR for the church that means it's negative. And, uh, and, and in the process, of course, it's the trip and they might just say Mormon. They don't usually say the Mormon church, but they will still say Mormons and Mormonism in the trip. Um, but I also appreciate though, that the, um, the guy who did the study said he was surprised how high the adoption rates were for the church's style guide. So I th they think they were expecting, you know, the terrible media to not respect it at all, but it's better than they had hoped. So yay. Yay. Yay! I know we're we're really short on time, but I think it's worth just giving a quick couple quick mentions to these these two articles, which are which are actually kind of closely related to each other. Um, there was an article that ran again, once again in the Daily Utah Chronicle, um, but uh, this one was um, called "The Nightmare of Being a Non-Mormon in Utah," and it's this guy who is a black um, non-Mormon and a not member of the church. Uh, who moved to Utah and just explains his difficulty of uh, feeling like he belonged uh, in the community, in the culture, etc., because he wasn't a member of the church. And his um, experiences are really, you know, evoke a lot of sympathy, I think, and like are, are definitely worth paying attention to. And then the other article, which again is, um, I said related, uh, the, this ran in ldsliving.com of all publications. And uh, the, the title of the article was Ask a Latter-day Saint Therapist. I'm a Jewish convert to the church. Some of my ward members are anti-Semitic. And it was basically sort of a, he's writing in and, and then the it's like a column where the guy responds, the, the, the Latter-day Saint Therapist responds. And it was really heartbreaking to read this about this guy who is a member of the church. He's a convert who comes from Judaism and he kept has kept some of his Jewish culture and traditions, because like, I mean, how would you give all that up? And the way that his ward has, that he's experienced his ward ostracizing or mocking or mistreating him because of his heritage and because of where he came from. I uh, like, as you far killed as, Jesus. 
Right. Like I mean, come on. Crap, crap like that. I mean, I don't know. Where are we going to say crap on this show? You can say crap all you want here. All right. Well, it's crap. And uh, anyway, the two articles, while quite different because of like who's explaining their the circumstance and what their circumstances is, they really come back to this core same, same principle of lack of compassion, lack of empathy, of trying to understand and reach out to and love your neighbor, which last time I checked was one of the two great commandments. And I, I mean, and I say that very self-righteously. And, I, and again, I have to remind myself to be contrite because I'm guilty of this too, but still like uh, it just, it was just really disheartening to read these two accounts and to say, cause we, we should be better at this. You know, we believe that we are followers of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. And the core of that gospel is, is love, you know, whether, I mean, it, you know, we, we talk about priesthood authority, which is important. We talk about uh, continuing revelation through prophets and apostles, which is important. There are so many things that like are part of our restored gospel, which of course are important things. But really, when you get to the core of the gospel, the commandments are to love, to serve your neighbor. And then so when you read um, accounts of people who aren't members of the, our faith community feeling ostracized and cast out and mistreated, like, I don't know, it feels like. I'm failing or we're, we're failing collectively at something. And then the same thing, like when there's somebody who's actually a part of our faith community is converted and taken upon themselves, the name of Christ, regardless of where they came from and they feel ostracized and cast out like, man, that's a failure too. And so I don't, I really want to not point a finger outward um, at this because I realize that if this is a problem in the church, this is a problem that I'm a part of too. Um, but anyway, I think we can all do better. And it, it, both of these articles are worth reading. And they're both pretty short, really, uh, but they're heartbreaking. And I hope that we can all take some time for self-reflection after reading these and say, how can I change this to make sure that this isn't happening anymore? How can I be part of making sure that love is still the central commandment and message of the gospel? Anyway, sorry, I got a little preachy in there, Jeff. But uh, yeah, I felt a little strongly there. So. That's as good a place as any to leave it, buddy. I appreciate your words. Everyone, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, we hope you'll join us at thisweekinmormons.com, of course, with it being conference weekend. Uh, read our temple predictions. Tell us what you think of them. Keep an eye out for our tie tracker, which is actually a great way to keep your kids entertained during general conference. My five-year-old now sits there and helps me make sure we, we, we uh, categorize the ties appropriately. Um, And we hope you also join us on Twitter. We're pretty active there during conference weekend. And we hope it's a fulfilling and lovely conference weekend for all of you. We will be back Sunday evening after general conference. We'll have a live stream up on the uh, Facebook page. And uh, and then that'll be our episode for the week. We'll publish it, but we'll recap general conference. Jared will be there. Some of your other favorite twim hosts will be there. We'll all be getting together, having a grand old time. uh, Hopefully talking about how uplifted we were. And how much hope we have received and or dissecting bombshell news that may be coming our way that we have nothing, (laughs) no way to predict. Uh, We also hope you'll join us on Instagram and please subscribe to the show if you have not done so. And please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever, wherever you get the show, leave us a review. That would be a tremendous and support us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash This Week in Mormons is the way to be. It's the way to do things. Uh, we have a new website. If you want to send us an email, it's contact at thisweekinmormons.com or just go to our website, thisweekinmormons.com slash contact and just fill out the form and let us know what we can do for you. That'll be that. Jared, thanks so much, buddy. Yeah, I, it's always, always a pleasure to be here. 
It is wonderful to have you. Glad you're doing well. And I am jealous of your chocolate milk. And I don't have any myself. So get on that read, people. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. For Jared, I'm Jeff. Be well, be holy, be happy. Thank you.